Fantastic. Amen. You can be seated. It is so great to see you this morning here at Edge Church. Wow. Well, I got a question for you today. Are you suffering? Are you struggling? Are you agonizing over at least one part of your life? Most of us, if we're honest, would say, yes, absolutely, we are. It's interesting, the Gallup organization measures something called the subjective well-being of Americans every year. They've been doing this for the last decade. And something very interesting was discovered in the latest survey. Uh, They discovered that it was the sharpest decline of subjective well-being since the beginning of the survey. Uh, In other words, uh, Americans feel more anxious, more worried, more afraid, uh, less joyful, less happy, whatever it may be, than any other time in the last 10 years that the study has been conducted. It was the sharpest decline. And this is really interesting because um, the threat of global terrorism has gone down. The economy is better. Less uh, people are struggling finding a job. Unemployment is down. The stock market is up. You would think that people would, generally speaking, feel better about their life. But according to this study, people are really struggling. People are really hurting. And I want to talk today about how to get through the great struggles of our lives. If you've been here, you know that we've been in a study from the book of Colossians called Tell Me Something Good. And the book of Colossians is filled with many great things. But one of the things I love about the end of chapter 1 is the apostle gives us some of his divine insight into how to overcome suffering and adversity. And I want us to look at these verses together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 29. And he begins in verse 24 and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, let me just stop for just a moment because most people, when they read the words suffering, don't think about rejoicing, right? I mean, when is the last time that you got some really bad news and you're like, oh, I want to rejoice, you know? Uh, Maybe you've been around some Christian people like that. If you ever meet a Christian that's like, I just got run over by a school bus, praise the Lord, you know, reach over and slap them, okay? (laughs) So what is the apostle talking about here? He, He really starts this in an interesting way. He says, uh, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Now notice he doesn't say I rejoice because of my sufferings. He says I rejoice in my sufferings. In the book of Philippians, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So the idea is that we ought to be rejoicing no matter what the circumstances are. But Paul is not rejoicing because of circumstances. He's rejoicing in spite of circumstances. And as we've talked about previously, the Apostle Paul is writing the letter of Colossians, the Colossian letter, from prison. He is, he's imprisoned. I mean, he's had his liberties stolen from him. He's been falsely accused. If you read the story of the Apostle Paul, you know that he went through all kinds of hardships, shipwrecked and beaten and flogged and stoned and spit on and ridiculed. Now he's, now he's in prison and he's in prison and he's writing about rejoicing. I don't know about you, but I'd like to know a little bit more about why the apostle was rejoicing while he was there in prison. 
And I want to share with you three things today. The first is simply this. I can stay joyful when I'm hurting. I can stay joyful when I'm hurting. And I think the apostle understood a few things. One is that even though he was suffering, he was rejoicing in the fact that the message of Jesus was flourishing and growing. Now, I love this because a lot of times when we go through hardship, we tend to think my life is bad right now. I've got this one or two things that are going on. Everything's bad. Everything's bad. Everything's bad. Everything's bad. The reality is for most of us, there are good things that are happening in our life and there are bad things happening in our life and they are happening simultaneously. So things may be really tough for you at work, but your family may be doing awesome. You, you may be really struggling in your finances, but your health may be fantastic. You may be struggling with some health issues, but you may have the love and su support of your friends and family. For most of us, there's good and bad that are going on at the same time. And if we have to wait to have everything perfect in our life before we can rejoice, we will do very little rejoicing. Amen? Right. So we cannot get overly fixated on the one or two things. There will always, always be areas that are not what they need to be. Areas of pain, hurt, disappointment, whatever it is. So the Apostle Paul's like, I'm in prison. This stinks. But you know what? The gospel is expanding. People are coming to Christ. I I'm writing these letters from prison to encourage the church. People are coming to visit me. I am challenging them spiritually. Wow, there's hard things and there's good things. And he says, I am rejoicing in the Lord. And he begins here by saying, hey, I can be joyful even when I'm hurting, when I understand there's both good and there's bad that's going on. Uh, Paul's not faking it. He's not um, being naive. You know, I used to think when I was a younger Christian that people that were really joyful and really happy were only that way just because they hadn't been through anything. And I thought, you know what, if they've been through some things I've been through, they wouldn't be smiling so much, you know? Maybe you've thought that. And then I started to kind of like get to know people's story, and I realized that some of the people that had the most joy had also been through the most pain. And that kind of messed with my theology just a little bit. <laughs> I think that's what the apostle began to understand. If you've been broken, if you've been hurt, if you've been devastated, guess what? You're in the perfect place for God to do his richest work in your life. You really are. You really are. And listen, being joyful is not just, well, this is my temperament. You know, this is my personality or this is the family that I... Then it, it is a spiritual discipline. It is a part of growing spiritually. Is saying, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord even though things may be difficult. Now, how do we do that? He gives us at least three things that we can rejoice in or three reasons to rejoice. Don't miss this. You see, we can rejoice in suffering because Jesus suffers with us. In Acts chapter nine, verse three and four, the apostle Paul is, he's killing Christians. Remember, the apostle consented to the death of the first Christian martyr by the name of Stephen. So Paul is going around the ancient world. He's finding all the Christians. He's putting them in jail. He's trying to kill them. Paul's a bad guy. His name's Saul at the time. He got his name changed to Paul because he, he had a new identity. Saul's a bad guy. And one day on the road to Damascus, Syria, Jesus speaks to him. 
And this is what he says in Acts 9. Uh, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And then in verse 4, falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you get that? Jesus didn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? The emphasis here is that when the church hurts, Jesus hurts. Do you see it? When you hurt, Jesus hurts. And one of the reasons we can rejoice in the midst of suffering is because when you suffer, Jesus suffers with you. He hurts with you. Have you ever been hurting and, and, and poured your heart out to somebody and they listened and empathized with you and the encouragement that you felt was, was fantastic from, from that experience maybe with a spouse or a family member or a friend, a loved one? Somebody just blessed you. Somebody just because they just listened and you felt like they understood. Listen, Jesus understands. When you hurt, Jesus hurts. When you have the pain of infertility, guess what? Jesus feels that pain. When you have the pain of financial ruin, guess what? Jesus feels the pain. When you feel the pain of loss in your family, Jesus feels the pain. And that's why he's such a remarkable savior. And that's why we can rejoice in the Lord because we know that we are not hurting alone. Don't ever buy into the lie that says nobody understands how I feel. Jesus does. He's been there. He was tempted in every way. And yet he was without sin. Secondly, um, when we suffer, there's a purpose. There's always a purpose in the suffering. Um, we don't always know the purpose. But there is a purpose. In this particular instance, Paul is suffering so that the message of Jesus can grow and flourish. And when you read the context here in Colossians 1, he's like, guys, I'm going to take one for the team. I'm suffering so that more people can know about Jesus. I'm in prison because I've been preaching and writing and talking about Christ. There's a purpose to the suffering. Sometimes God's purpose in your life is spiritual maturity. Sometimes it's to teach us lessons. Sometimes it's to help us to grow closer to the Lord. There's a whole host of reasons, but there is always a purpose in our pain. And don't waste that purpose. Let God show you what that is. In Acts chapter 9, 15, um, if you read on down in this experience that, that Jesus has with the Apostle Paul, um, he says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he is to suffer for my name. That's what God said to Ananias. And Ananias tells Paul, Listen, you're going to suffer a lot, but a lot of people are going to know Christ. Isn't that awesome? There's always a purpose in our pain. Um, thirdly, um, when you suffer, uh, it brings about spiritual maturity. I mentioned that a second ago, but look at Colossians 1.28. So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So why do we suffer? Well, one of the reasons is it, it brings about spiritual maturity. It brings us closer to Christ. It teaches us more about him. Um, this is echoed in 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Amen. Wow. 
I mean, see that suffering that you're going through right now? In a little while, God's going to take you and, and he's, gonna, he, he's firmly establishing you. He, he's building you up. He's building you up, man. And, and don't, don't get discouraged today because, because in a little while, he's going to restore you and make you strong. Amen? Amen. You may feel depleted today, but if you'll stick with the Lord, you, you, your strength will increase. You'll be stronger than you've ever been before. Um, is your Christian faith so shallow that every time something bad happens, you have to immediately get discouraged? H- have you gotten to the place spiritually that you can hurt and suffer and still rejoice at the same time? And this is what the apostle's challenging us to. By the way, if you don't rejoice in the middle of suffering, what's the alternative? I mean, what else are you going to do? You're going to become bitter? Angry? Feel sorry for yourself? Cynical? Skeptical? The world is full of people like that. All the time. Or are we going to let God work in our hearts? Rejoice in the Lord. What's the alternative? I like, I like Paul's alternative best. Amen? Amen. Rejoice in your suffering. And... Uh, If Paul is a missionary and he suffered, guess what? Some of us are going to suffer too. All of us are going to suffer at some point. Um, Godly people suffer. They really do. I think this is in the Bible because God wanted us to know godly people suffer. Okay? Paul's a missionary. I mean, he's the greatest Christian that ever lived. Suffering, 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 suffering. You know what? People of God suffer. People of God struggle. Don't buy into the lie that says, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Everything should be easy and perfect. Then you would never grow. Come on now. I just finished reading a biography of a really famous pastor. And uh, it was really amazing. And this is one of the most famous pastors that ever lived, Christian pastors a few hundred years ago. Suffering, 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 suffering. Struggle, struggle, struggle. Amazing story. A man of faith, a man of God, struggle, 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 struggle. It encouraged me. I was like, maybe I'm not crazy, you know? You know? See, you're not crazy for struggling. That's just part of the rhythm. That's part of it. Amen. That's what it is. And Paul's telling us about his pain because he wants us to know that if you follow Christ, it'll be difficult. You know what? Life's difficult if you don't follow Christ. <laughs> I'd rather have Christ in, a, in my life. If you look at the latter part of verse 24, he says, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And it's a passage, you, you know, you read that and you're like, what, what in the world is going on with that? Like, it almost sounds like that the death of Jesus was not sufficient for our salvation if you just read that. But I found that when you read a passage of scripture that sounds kind of odd or kind of kind of different than maybe what you thought, the best way to interpret unclear passages of scripture is to read clear passages of scripture. And so when we read passages like when Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished. Yeah, it is finished. Um, And we read other passages in the Bible. I don't think that what Paul is saying is that we're completing our salvation by suffering. I think this is not a salvation discussion. I think this is a discipleship discussion. 
He's talking about now, once you're in Christ, once you're walking with God, you're going to continue to struggle. It's going to be difficult at times. Uh, I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And people have written whole books on this topic and this subject and people that are much smarter than me. And maybe they disagree, but that's the way that I take it. Um, Romans 5, 3 says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our affliction because we know that the affliction produces endurance. So I can stay joyful when I'm hurting because of those reasons, but I can also stay purposeful when I'm struggling. I mean, Paul didn't lose his purpose in his struggle. Amen. I mean, come on, think about this. If anybody should feel depressed and discouraged, can you imagine being in that dirty dungeon cell? Inmates had no rights in the ancient world. This was not a bunch of a bunch of criminals watching cable television, pumping iron all day. Come on. I mean, this is hardship. The people are nuts. The guards are mean. The food is terrible. The environment is awful. The stench. This is nasty. This is terrible. This is bad. This is really bad. And he says in verse 25, I have become its minister according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. I love this because Paul did not forget about his purpose. God has a purpose for you. I know you're hurting. I know you're struggling. But the purpose hasn't stopped. See, when we're struggling, we don't take a vacation from the things God's called us to do, right? Amen? I mean, it's not like, you know, if you get a bad report from the doctor... Oh, you know what? I just can't, I can't serve the Lord. I can't go to church. I can't, I can't help people. I, I can't pray. I just, it's all, you know, I got all these problems. And, and so I just can't do, there's people that do that. People forget their purpose because of their problems. But listen, your problems don't wreck your purpose. God still has a purpose. Paul saw it. I, I, I'm in prison, but guess what? It's still clear to me I am to make God's message fully known. I still got work to do. I may not have all the energy. I may not have all the freedom. I may not have all of the opportunity that I used to have. But, but, but there is still a purpose. I don't want you to lose your purpose in the middle of your pain. I don't want you to forget about the things that God's called you to do. You, you still got to get up and go to work tomorrow. You still got to raise those kids. You still got to lead that Bible study. You still got to do what God's called you to do, whatever it may be. Don't, don't lose your purpose in the middle of your pain. I tell you, when I get a little discouraged, I just go back and say, what has God called me to do? You know, that's what I do. I, I, I'm hurting, you know. I, what do I need to, You know what I do? I start leading people to Christ. If you ever see a bunch of people getting baptized here, you can say to yourself, pastor must have been discouraged last week. You know, <laughs> I just go, I, I get my phone out. I'm like, where's all my unchurched friends that need Christ? Hey man, you want to have coffee? You know, cause it reminds me, it reminds me what I'm, what I'm called to do. Right. It gets my eyes off myself and my problems. 
A few years ago, I got really discouraged and I told the staff, I said, leave the baptistry up the whole month of July. And they're like, well, pastor, we only baptize once a month. I was like, I don't care. Just leave it up. We're going to baptize people every week. Guess what happened? At the end of the month of July, we had baptized more people in our church during that month than any other time in the history of our church. It was awesome. Sometimes you just have to go back to the thing that God has called you to do. And the purpose gets lost in the pain because the pain is great, but don't lose your purpose because God still has work for you. God still has a plan for you. It, it, listen, the day that you die is the day that the plan and the purpose ends. But until then, we got some work to accomplish. Paul said, I, I'm here to advance the gospel. Uh, a friend of mine said, your misery becomes your ministry. Amen. My wife says it this way. Your pain become, gives you a platform. <laughs> it's true. See, the, the, the greatest way God will start to use you many times is through your pain. We hate the pain. We don't like the pain. And then we get through the pain and we're like, oh, you know what? I know how to help people that have gone through what I've gone through. And you see that there was a purpose in the pain, helping others. Who can help somebody going through a divorce? Somebody who's been through a divorce. Who can help somebody that's got a substance abuse problem? Somebody that's been addicted. Yeah. Who can help? Who can help somebody who's been abandoned and left? Somebody who's been through the same thing. See, our, our misery turns into our ministry. We can't let our purpose slip away in the middle of the pain. <clears throat> and if you'll let God shape you and mold you, he will take you places and he will use you in ways that you just never even thought of. You never even thought of that. In verse 26, he says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, Open your eyes. The good news once was hidden and now it's been revealed in Christ. I mean, Christ revealed what, what had been hidden for so many years. And uh, our job is to make known the mystery of Christ. A lot of people are confused about what it means to know God. And it's been revealed in the person of Jesus. That's why every month when you give, our church gives a portion of what's given to missions. We help missionaries around the world. Because guess what? We want people to know the great mystery here in our own city, but we want people in other countries and other places to know the same thing. And it's an awesome opportunity. In verse 28, he says, We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, in him we proclaim. I mean, the message that we have is the message of Jesus. That, that there is no other message. The, 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 the message of Edge Church is not just be a nice guy. The message of the church is we need Christ. We need him. It's in him we proclaim. 
We proclaim him. That's the message. Jesus is the message. Jesus has always been the message. Jesus is the message. Jesus will always be the message. He is the message that we proclaim. He's the message. And teaching everyone with all wisdom. We got, we got to teach people because guess what? Everyone has an opportunity to mature in Christ. You see, the gospel is for everybody. Not just for some people, but for everybody, he says in verse 28. Amen. So the goal is that we become mature in Christ. So when Christ is in me, I can stay joyful because I'm hurting. I can stay purposeful even though I'm struggling. But how do I do this? I can stay strong even when I'm agonizing. Okay, now don't miss this. Because this is the how. He wraps up this little chapter here in verse 29 and he says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of Christ. How, how can I get through the suffering? I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that there is a power source that is greater than you? The Holy Spirit. God didn't say just, just do the best you can and work hard and, and, and get after it and give it your best. No. God has given us the divine power, the divine capability by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one that helps us get through the suffering and the, and, and the difficulties. We need the Spirit. Have you ever seen two people go through similar circumstances and come out two totally different ways? One person's full of faith. One person is encouraged. One person has got a smile on their face. And one person is mad at the world and crazy and skeptical and cynical and angry. And you're like, you guys went through the same thing. And what's the difference? Many times, the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit. We need the Spirit to do what we cannot do. The Holy Spirit. So I can stand strong even when I'm agonizing because of the power of the Spirit. Now, look at this word. In the NIV, he says, strenuously contend. And the word that's used here in the language of the New Testament is the word that we get the English word agonize, agonize from. And to strenuously contend is to agonize. It's also a word that's used to describe athletic competition. So if you're, if you're on the basketball court and you're playing your heart out, you are strenuously contending. You are agonizing for your team. Amen? And this is the intensity that he says we should have when it comes to suffering. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So I am, I am competing. I am fighting. I am agonizing and I'm doing everything that I can do. But I also understand that there's a divine agency, a divine person called the Holy Spirit who's in me that is giving me capability that is bought beyond what is natural. It's both. It's focused effort. It's divine empowerment. It's both. If we, if we get focused on just one, we'll be confused. If we just think, well, it's just the Spirit's going to do everything, you know, that kind of thing. Then we'll have our heads in the cloud. 
If we think it's all up to us to get through suffering and agonizing, and I'm just going to do it on my own initiative, I'm going to do what I can do, you will never get the divine results that come from God, that come from the Spirit. So we strenuously contend with all energy that is given to us by Christ through His Spirit. And it works in me. I love that. It works in me. There's a struggle. Listen, if you're going to be joyful in the middle of struggling, guess what? you got to fight for your joy. <laughs> when your mind starts to go down the path of, oh, this is going to get worse. This is bad. Nobody understands. Everybody's against me. I can't take it anymore. I can't. And your mind starts to play all these tricks in these games. You start to go down that path. You got to fight for your joy. You, you, you got to bring the scripture back. You need the Holy Spirit to get back to help you refocus, right? No, 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 no. No, I can't jump off the ledge. God's with me. The Spirit's empowering me. The Word of God is with me. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for me. Come on. And you got to talk yourself sometimes off the ledge. You got to fight for your joy. There's a struggle, but there's a supernatural strength. Know this, when you feel like you can't go anymore, remember the Holy Spirit is with you. He's there. Wow. He helps us agonize, agonize for our joy. There's an inward struggle, there's an outward struggle, but the Spirit helps us in all things. A couple of weeks ago, I was at youth camp and I stepped out onto the basketball court. I was so excited to play with the kids and we divided up teams and this 18 year old boy looked over and he said, I got dad. And he looked my direction and I looked around thinking, well, who's he talking about? And I noticed that I was the only person on the basketball court that wasn't in middle school or high school. Now, I've been called a lot of names on the basketball court. I have never been called dad before. I am a dad. I just don't want to be called dad. I was like, I'm going to take dad and shove it down your throat. I was like, give me the rock. Dad. He's talking about me. Those are fighting words. Dad. So I got the ball. I hit the first shot. And, you know, as a basketball player, if you hit the first shot, it just kind of gets you going for the game. You know, like you just you got your touch and you're feeling good. And, uh, and then I had another shot and uh, I heard him say to his buddy, dad can play. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, that's right. So the adrenaline is really pumping. I mean, it's like, you know, and one of their players is dribbling down the court on a fast break, a short guy. I'm like, oh, I'm going to knock this into the stands. Sometimes what you see in your mind is not what happens with your body. When I came down, I rolled my ankle. And the reason that I've been limping up here this morning is because I've been on injury reserve for the last three weeks. And my wife gave me some real perspective. I mean, you know, I get a lot of wisdom from my wife, a lot of free advice and everything. You know, she said, Ryan, you're not 18 anymore. And I was like, that's true. That's true. That is true. She said, you're not as strong as you think that you are. I'm like, that's probably true. That's true. I'm going to go to the doctor. 
Good idea. Good idea. <laughs> so I'm not sure when I'm going to be playing some basketball, but you know what? I do recognize and realize that I need some strength that I don't normally have. I think the Apostle Paul realized that when he was agonizing and contending for the church and fighting for his purpose, that he realized there was a struggle that he needed the divine empowerment of God to help him to agonize and to keep fighting and to keep believing and to keep praying and to keep doing what he was doing. That's what he was doing. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? I want to give you just a couple of things to think about today. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says he prays for us. Did you know that? I mean, the Holy Spirit is praying for you today. Amen. You're struggling. The Spirit's praying for you. Don't forget it. Okay? He's our helper. The book of John says he's our helper. He encourages us. He, he admonishes us. He speaks to us. He's our victor. He helps me defeat sin and temptation. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do we walk in victory over temptation? The Holy Spirit. Okay? What we need is not more self. What we need is more of the Spirit. He's our teacher. He teaches us the Word of God, John 16 says. When you read the, when you read the Scripture, the Spirit will teach you and lead you to certain passages and will direct you. He's your teacher. He's your victor. He's your cultivator of spiritual fruit. I mean, Galatians 5.22 lists out the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, love, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so... The Spirit is the one that gives you patience with somebody who drives you crazy. That's the Spirit. If somebody asks you, how did you not strangle her? You know, well, I got the Spirit. I got the Spirit. He's our director. Whenever we make decisions, He directs us. He directs us. And sometimes the Spirit will lead you to make decisions that are counterintuitive. There's been a few times in Gina and I's ministry in life, we've done the opposite of what many of our friends and family have advised us to do. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't listen to wise counsel, but I'm saying sometimes you have to go with what the Spirit has, <clears throat> has put in you. And that's what He does. So the Spirit gives you strength. So why should you not be discouraged today? Because you can be strong even though you're agonizing. See, you, you can be hurting and be strong at the same time because it's the spirit. It's the spirit. You're doing everything you can do. But listen, it's the power of the spirit that's driving you and replenishes you. It's kind of like if you've if you've been in shape really well and you've 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 played some sports and then you woke up the next day and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a little tired, but I'm good. I'm ready to go because you're in shape versus versus. You, you haven't played in three years and you get on the basketball court and the next day you can't even walk, you know? There's a difference, okay? When the Spirit is in you, you will expend great energy, but you'll be revitalized by the power of Jesus. So we, we expend and then He fills us up. We expend and He fills us up. So how do we do this? Well, when Christ is in me, I can stay joyful when I'm hurting. I can stay purposeful when I'm struggling and I can stay strong when I'm agonizing. Would you pray with me for just a moment?